Well, hello and welcome to the We Hold These Treasures podcast. Today, I'm joined by my friend and professor, Professor Catherine Cavadini at the University of Notre Dame. So Katie is teaching, has taught me in several courses now in my master's degree study at the University of Notre Dame. And today we're talking about a book that she recently co-authored with her father called Saints, A Family Story. And it is a children's book, but I would I really call it a family book that introduces us to a library of family saints that are important to them. So Katie is an associate teaching professor at the University of Notre Dame. She directs the Masters of Arts program in theology and offers courses on scriptural interpretation, spirituality, and the story of the saints. She and her husband, Anthony, who's also a professor of theology at Notre Dame, live in South Bend, Indiana with their four children. And Katie's father, John, is the co-author. John is professor of theology and director of the McGrath Institute for Church Life at Notre Dame. And his work as a theologian arises from his love of the church fathers, especially St. Augustine. He was knighted by Pope Benedict XVI for service to the church and lives in South Bend with his wife, Nancy, where their 17 grandchildren pop in and out frequently. Katie, is it 18 grandchildren now? It is 18 now. So the 18th was actually born on the Feast of All Saints. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah, her name perfect. is Penny. Yeah. And the, and the book Saints of Family Story was illustrated by Tess Cassidy. She um, studied art at the University of Michigan and teaches art history at Trinity School in Greenlawn in South Bend. And the illustrations are just phenomenal in this book. So I'm looking forward, Katie, to talking about the text of the book and also the illustrations. So welcome to the podcast today. Thank you for having me. It's good to see you. It's good to see you too. Always. <laughs> so, so Katie, can you share a little bit about how this book came to be? And I, I was so excited to see it because I've been able to take courses from you and from your dad. And so your love for the saints comes through. And then that ju this just brings it down to any family anywhere. Okay. So the origin of the book is very much within our own family. Um, it is that my, my dad won Lent. So it was Lent actually of 2020. So we weren't really getting to see everybody in the family, but um, he started making these coupons and he'd send them to the grandkids. And the coupon was you could fill it out with any name of a saint and he would write you the story of that saint. So um, he also had a team, which was uh, Sister Beatrice, which I think he took from, from Dante. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so the kids would fill them out. And at first they really just filled them out with their own names, you know? So my son, James asked for James. He also asked for Joseph because he's really James Joseph. Um, Zaley asked for Zaley. So you'll see these ones in the books that were actually written for his grandchildren. Um, the thing was, is that as he was writing them, I, I was sort of taken by them myself. Like these are not the usual story you get about saints. And because he was writing about saints that are very well known that have been written about for, for, for a very long time, I, you could see how he sort of breathed fresh life into them precisely by going back to some of the original sources in which we learn about them and to to draw their personality, you know, to make John the Baptist someone my son John wanted to know. Mm -hmm. um, I thought was just really important and super refreshing. And so after a while, he became pretty overwhelmed because there are so many grandchildren <laughs> with the number of stories he had to write and all the research that was going into them. And I thought, 
you know, I've studied hagiography. Hey, I could probably jump in and help him out with this task. So it kind of grew into something eventually more than just the stories for each grandkid as they asked for them um, into something that we thought um, might be worth sharing with other people. So we ended up putting together this whole collection together and uh, Paraclete Press very kindly said, yeah, we think this is something we'd like to work on too. And so uh, out it went. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like the way that you've woven these saints into our family. So in your opening letter, you say through the stories of the saints, we received new brothers and sisters. So they're ours too, mothers and fathers, grandmothers and grandfathers in the faith. Each person's life tells the story of God's love in a unique and unrepeatable way. And I think that's something you've accomplished in these stories is to show that, you know, sometimes we hear saint stories and it's like, oh, this is a holy person and this was a holy person. But, you know, who was St. John Paul the Great? Who was Joan of of Arc? Who was John? And, and who do we, like, how do we relate to them today? So in your, in your household growing up, were saints important to you then also, not only as John grandfather Cavadini, but dad, John Cavadini? Yeah, so I, he didn't really like tell us the stories of saints like he's done with the grandkids now. Um, but like the the life of the faith was obviously very important growing up. We we actually said night prayer together every night. Um, mm -hmm. And he tended to read to us. And the, the things he read to us were a huge range from like J.R. Tolkien to Mary Poppins to like sometimes he'd actually just read Origin or, or he'd read Augustine to us. And we would listen. Often, often we would just fall asleep I think I slept in the living room more than I slept in my bedroom in my childhood just because he would he'd be reading and we'd all just drift off but um one way in which we did encounter the saints as kids um was that my parents have uh quite a collection of relics and so I remember the first time my dad brought some home he'd been in Rome for some meeting and he came home and it was like this very mysterious sort of momentous moment in which he introduced us to the reality of relics and that these saints would now be present in our home. And so while he might not have sat down and told us the story of each one he brought back to the home, we, you know, we sort of lived with them there and there's always candles burning and there's always um, fresh flowers out for them, right, for that purpose because they're there. So um, they were always with us in that way. Mm -hmm. So it it engaged all of your senses then, which is so important with children when we think of like um, Good Shepherd catechesis and really introducing our young children to the faith. It's all about, you know, what did, what did you see? What did you taste? What did you feel? What did you think? And those are ways to bring it all in, especially especially with reading. I mean, I don't know a child when I read to my children no matter who's in the house, they end up on the couch with me. So if I'm reading to the 10-year-old, the 18-year-old is kind of creeping around the corner. And if the 21-year-old is home, the next thing I know, he's he's coming in to listen too, but probably not as much anymore. But especially when they were all young children in the house, like if you start reading to one, they all they all gather. It's, it's an invitation all the time. So- comforting about being read to especially when it's your parents or your grandparents you know just hearing their voice and it's like a, such a comforting space in which to imagine and to think and to just be together so. mm -hmm. oh I agree I, I completely agree and especially when we're so busy like just to take you know five minutes ten minutes at the end of the at the end of the day to read to pray 
is great. Um, you hit on the word imagination. Can you talk me through the imagination? So the first story in the book is St. John Paul II or St. John Paul the Great, as we're calling him, as Pope Benedict has asked us to call him. Can you talk about some of the imagination that went into this particular story? There's this theme of knocking that I, I was really drawn into as I read it. So the theme of knocking in that story um, was me trying to draw out um, sort of the the way in which John Paul II, over the course of his life, came to recognize Christ himself, sort of knocking at his door and being asked to let in, to be let into his life. And um, I think that we all have to sort of become attuned to that knocking. But it's also just, you know, something that I imagine my kids like, like they're, they, I'll come home sometimes and they've got like this whole like band set up in the living room. They're just like banging on pots and things, but um, finding little things in the stories or in the lives of these people that sort of draw a connection, something that a, a child or really anybody would um, sort of hold on to and have something that would get their mind really thinking and really moving out towards that person who they're meeting in the story, uh, I think was is important. I, I don't, my husband, Anthony, he's like so good at telling our kids stories. He has this whole series of stories he's been telling them for maybe six years now in which he's a boy named Harry who can grow his hair out like on command and it solves every problem in the universe. So he can make these stories up on, you know, like that's one way of being an imaginative. And I, I'm not like that. <laughs> the kids are like, mom, you tell us a story. And I'm like, how about a saint, right? Like I'll have mm -hmm. to draw I already know and so I know that kids minds like they love that space right and they sort of need it and to 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 give them the space to meet someone they haven't met and to allow that person to show Christ to them um, was kind of what I was looking for right so so links between things that kids can um I don't know make an image out of right sort of be able to play with in their head but also to actually then give them the gospel through that person um, you know, that was a challenge that I felt as I wrote the stories, partly because I'm not imaginative like my husband is, but I very much love the the people who we encounter when we actually get to know a saint, even if we haven't met them. Mm -hmm. um, in in this one, the knocking that struck me was like, it, it intros with him like knocking on the quarry. And so in my head, I could like hear that clinking sound of metal on rock. And then it goes into he heard you know god knocking on his heart and and then you even quote where where i appreciate that you you know you don't just tell the story but you go to what did john paul say what did saint john the great say and he said open wide the doors to christ and be not afraid of him when when he became the pontiff and so it's this response that you've given our children to consider in this knocking that they will hear if they listen yeah. So who's, who is your favorite saint in this book? Is that loaded? Uh, no, not really. <laughs> uh, my favorite saint in the book is Joan of Arc. Okay. And yeah. she's on the cover. She's on the cover. Tess did an amazing job, uh, I think, illustrating that story. And I didn't know this until recently, but she, so like she, I would write the stories or I would take the stories my dad wrote. I would send them over to Tess. And she would usually read them to her kids. So her kids are the same ages as my kids, except for the oldest. Anna made up a fake Cassidy to have like a 
the Cassidy sibling. So her three kids are the ages of my three younger of my four. Um, anyway, so she read the story to them and see what captured their imaginations as they as she read the story to them. So sometimes that's what you see in the picture, um, like St. Anthony of Egypt, um, where you have like the, the, the image of the tiger at the end, and even the way he's sitting in his cave with the leopards. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what her daughter Genevieve sort of latched onto when she heard the story. Um, also, if you look at St. Ignatius um, of Antioch, there's like a happy line at the bottom of the picture because Gigi thought like, the lions couldn't have all been bad (laughs) oh that's funny (laughs) yeah because that's what the kids heard in the stories but with Joan of Arc um, it was more that Tess was just captured by this personality and she said you know her her image came into my head and I couldn't do anything else till I painted it so she spent like two all-nighters just painting Joan of Arc um, getting that you know face out of her head onto the paper so the story is one of my favorites because I feel like Joan of Arc is one of these saints who everyone knows, but we don't really know anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so to try to capture something of the spirit of who Joan of Arc was, um, I really enjoyed doing that. I mean, I also teach a class in which she's featured pretty prominently because if you go back and you read the retrial of Joan of Arc and all the people who knew her who come forward and say, this is what Joan was like, this is what she said, this is who she was to me. I mean, just this striking personality comes out of all of that. Um, one of my favorite stories about her that that's told in that retrial is how when she got to Orléans, you know, and this is what she was called to do to raise the siege of Orléans. And she gets there and she doesn't want to fight them. She doesn't want to kill anybody. She doesn't want to have a big battle. And so she sends letters. She she has her archer uh, shoot these letters over the walls and, and says, like, can you just go home? Like, this is going to be bad if we fight. And I'd like you to just just go Um, Mm -hmm. she asks three times and they don't go so like that tells you something about Joan of Arc I think that we don't tend to see in the way she's portrayed often Um, so I wanted to recapture some of that personality that I think's been lost Um, and it's just she's so moving she's so beautiful so that's my favorite I I think that that illustration is definitely one of my favorites for sure. Um, I got to meet Tess this summer when you brought her to class when I was out at Notre Dame. And what struck me is the amount of research that she did into making the faces of these people. So she went to, as I recall it, and I think it was for Joan of Arc, she went to the images of French Olympians, women Olympians, or French athletes whose faces she could find on a website to figure out what the facial features of, of French Joan of Arc should look like. And I, I think she really captured it. And the other one that I think she really captures ethnically is St. Rose of Lima. She put her in the native Inca, um, in the native Inca attire, which is so different than how we, we see, you know, stained glass or, or images of them. But what, what did Rose really look like? And, and I hadn't really thought of that, but then I, I thought about time I spent in Peru and I thought, gosh, she was probably very short. And, you know, she probably had long braids and just things I hadn't really thought of. And kind of like you, I'm, I'm not particularly imaginative. I love my, actually one of my teachers at a parent teacher conference told my mother that I wasn't very imaginative. So (laughs) it must be true. Um, but, but it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's not my gift necessarily, but the, but this certainly drew me in. Um, one of the other illustrations that, 
struck me. So St. Maximilian Colby is my favorite one in the book, in part for the background, because the background is his prisoner uniform. And I've, I think, really have grown into a strong love of St. Maximilian Colby, in part through the reading that we did in in one of in the first class I took at Notre Dame was was Saints and Culture with Maximilian Colby. But I I went through the book with my son George last night, who's 10, and super in, super inquisitive, super curious. And we got to St. John the Baptist and we opened it to the picture. And I, you know, I said, George, what do you what do you see about St. John the Baptist? Like he lived in the wilderness. What do you see in this picture that's wild? And I was anticipating that he'd say something about the landscape. And he goes, mom, his eyebrows. And I thought, gosh, you're, you're right, kid. It is his eyebrows. And then George asked something that I wasn't anticipating. He said, but mom, um, what, why was he Baptist? So somehow we missed the catechesis that St. John the Baptist wasn't Baptist in denomination, but was a baptizer. So, so we had to have a conversation this morning that St. John the Baptist was actually not Baptist, <laughs> but, um, but otherwise. So, so Katie, another thing I really appreciate in this book that I, I don't know that the youngest readers will catch, but I think the older readers will start to string it together is how the, the saints that you've chosen connect with each other and was that intentional or was that fortuitous so that was intentional okay I mean at first the stories kind of arose within our own family right so mm -hmm. had sort of an interior connection already like well this was written for James and this was written for his brother John and this is written for Zaylee and her sister Anna so mm -hmm. you know like they had that family connection and I started to think like maybe it's important today for families to realize the impact that they have on the holiness of their own families mm -hmm. and so I wanted to construct somehow a narrative that showed blood relatives that were all saints right because in the early church there's a lot of like moms who are saints and so are their children or grandmothers and their grandchildren mm -hmm. it's fun idea but then it was like well you know obviously we can't that's that's not the only way in which saints are like family and so it kind of grew from that sort of initial idea of something that was happening within a family, how families actually influence the holiness of, you know, people within their family. But it's also bigger than that, right? The whole community of saints is, is really a family when you think about it. And, and what connects them is really the, the force and the reality of love, that that is a force in the world and the way that prayer sort of activates that or, or makes us aware of it. Um, and so then we started to see the connections across, you know, the centuries between saints who had devotions one to the other, um, and that that was a real a connection as strong as and probably even stronger than blood ties. Mm -hmm. And so to pull that out and to show like this is really, I mean, um, I don't need a devotion necessarily to Saint Rose because I'm named after her, so I'm Catherine Rose, but because Rose can really be a friend to me and bring me to Christ in the way in which she reveals him herself and so to 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 show that relationship um i thought was important to help to help kids like meet the saints and to love them and to realize i'm not separated from them mm -hmm. you know maybe they lived a few hundred years ago but they're my friend and i can talk to them and they can they can help me mm -hmm. so 
I think my daughter Anna has a connection like that actually with Therese and I do think that Therese has helped her so I think she's seen that reality at work mm -hmm. that's that's beautiful and I I I like the way that with Therese so you include Therese and her parents in the book and so we see these little acts of love over and over again between that family so like we know we know Therese for the little way but one of the stories that you pick up on is that that little way was the way of her family, her parents, um, and it was imparted to her in something that we know of because she wrote about it. But when she writes about it, you see that little way of love in the way her father cared for her, in the way her mother wrote about her, um, and in, in the way that she responds to them as well. So it's it's beautiful. And it's something we can pick up today, just these little, you know, little acts of love, little affirmations um, that make a big difference in our families that if you choose to love people over and over and over again, you know, it becomes a habit. It becomes what you do. It becomes kind of your rule um, of life, if you will. Um, yeah. And then more, more biographically, as I went through it, I, I appreciated that, you know, the first thing you started with St. John Paul, the great has this Polish connection to Maximilian Kolbe. He canonized Maximilian Kolbe. And then also included is maybe a lesser known saint in progress, servant of God, Takashi Nagai, whose cause for canonization is opened, who was a, a doctor who treated St. Maximilian Kolbe, um, converted to Catholicism in Nagasaki. But then you tie in, and, and this is like, just something I think we forget about our faith is how ancient it is, but you tie in how Takashi Nagai's faith was influenced by these ancient Catholic families, Christian families in um, Japan who had existed for 250 years there, thanks to former missionaries who had come. Um, and then even the people who had influenced Takashi Nagai, like St. Francis Xavier um, and Frenchman Blaise Pascal, who who influences with faith and science, so the tie between the two. So it's just, it's something that I think older readers will appreciate. So when I was on, I was on Amazon looking at the book yesterday because I ordered it for all of my God babies. And on Amazon, it says that it's for six to eight-year-olds. I'm like, no, 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 no. Um, the pictures are definitely for six to eight-year-olds, but the stories are, are really for everyone. And it's just, it's a great book, like for Advent reading, Saint reading, um, anything really yeah so. that's one of the reasons I was so grateful to Paraclete right they didn't mm -hmm. they didn't think like well you need to change the way you're writing if this is for children right they they sort of embraced the fact that we said we want this to be something that a family reads and so that you know if a grandmother is reading to her granddaughter the grandmother gets as much out of it as the grandchild mm -hmm. um, right it's, it's really a shared family event when you sit down with one of the stories and then they have a shared friend so, yeah. So one of the, one of the questions when I applied to Notre Dame, there was an essay question and there were, there were a couple of questions. The first question, so anybody applying, spoiler alert, first question was who or what is the church? And I was like, oh man, this is, this is a heavy lift. Um, and one of the other questions was what is the relationship between the church and the academy. So the relationship between the church and kind of the academic pursuit of theology. So how would you answer that? Is this book an answer to that? Um, 
Yeah, so I definitely see this book as part of the work of connecting the academy and the church um, in the ways in which I think it actually gives something to the life of the church, right? Because the academy, mm -hmm. it can be very shut off from, from sort of real life questions of faith, right? We can get very tangled up in our own thing that like 10 other people in the world care about. Like I wrote a dissertation on a guy named Thomas the Cistercian. He, no one knows who he is, right? And so that that's not what I need to actually spend my life doing, although Thomas taught me a lot and I've carried mm -hmm. a lot of that with me. What the church needs is to, to take really the content of the faith and the deep sort of riches of that that can be lost if we're not reading Pascal and Colby and Bernadette and Augustine and right like there's this whole like library of saints who are themselves these texts because of of what has influenced them um, but also all the texts that they read that made them you know who they were and so to have your your fingers and all that stuff is is just life-giving and beautiful and so to be able to translate that and to hand it over um, to people who don't have time to sit in Hesburgh library. Um, right. as a, it's just a beautiful task. And I, I think it's, it needs to be done. And we in the Academy need to be aware that it should be getting done. So, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a gift to the church. You know, it's a gift to the church and it's, it's a privilege to be like, I felt very privileged in this MA program to sit with Augustine and, you know, people who are very learned and educated like you and your dad, John, and, you know, your husband, Anthony, and to delve into these texts that at times are hard and, and difficult. Um, Anthony gave us a passage from Ezekiel one time to write, um, you know, some sort of exegesis on, and, you know, I struggled and struggled with this paper. And at the end, Anthony was like, well, you know, that text is practically impenetrable. So, <laughs> so, so he, no. I mean, he, Right. So he acknowledged that it was difficult, but in that, in the pursuit of, you know, prayerfully and intellectually diving into this text from Ezekiel and what other church, what the theologians like Origen had to say about it, um, revealed to me, you know, who I think God is, how I think God spoke to Ezekiel. And, you know, it might not be something that, um, you know, right now I'm going to run into a class of third graders and be able to talk to, but, you know, in my catechesis class, so I was teaching seventh grade this year, I'm actually not teaching religious education just to focus on the masters. But when I go back into that class, the work I've done, or, you know, I've taught seventh grade and third grade, um, but the work that I've done in this academic environment, that's been such a privilege will inform how I talk to third graders about Ezekiel and prophets or, you know, salvation as a whole. So it's, it's really been a privilege to do this. And I, I think your book bridges this delving into who the saints are with primary, you know, primary ideas um, in a way that's completely relatable to, to anyone, to the grandmother who's reading it to the kid and to the, to the kid who's looking at the eyebrows of St. John the Baptist going, wow, mom, he's wild. And you he's know, a Baptist. George is very perceptive. We just did the story of St. Matthew for our parish. And at the end, Tess wasn't so happy with the painting. And all she did was change his eyebrows. And it was like a whole new thing. Interesting. So he's very perceptive. The eyebrows are. Huh. <laughs> yeah. The, I mean, the the illustrations in the in the book are just gorgeous. And, you know, I got to know more about some people I didn't I didn't know about or saints I hadn't really considered. So 
Um, and then in the back for like, for the, for the parents or the godparents, there's um, an additional reading. So if, if you're like me and you read the, the story geared towards families and you're like, well, what, what else can I know about St. Gregory the Great? You've given some more um, grown up sources to go through. So I actually sent my husband an email yesterday and I was like, Hey honey, you don't need to get me anything for Christmas, but if you do, I would really like, um, the song of Nagasaki, uh, that's about Takashi servant of God, Takashi Nagai. And, um, there was another one in here that I sent him. I think it was the book on Dorothy, Dorothy days, Therese. I said, I would oh, like that one. Um, Is it okay. So and I, and I told him, I was like, do not buy like the hardcover fancy used and, you know, used and tattered is good, but I'm really looking forward to it really to diving into some of these people even more now. So, um, so Katie, where can we, where can we find the book? Where can we connect with you? Uh, I mean, the books anywhere really that books are sold. I mean, Amazon's probably the easiest place to get it. Paraclete obviously has it on their website and actually they just finished, um, an audio book. So all that kids like to listen to books, which my kids will sit forever and listen to stories. Um, actually, Anthony, my husband, Anthony did all the, um, he read all the stories about boy saints and my sister, Eva, who's an actress did all the female saints. So, oh, that's great. Yeah. We kept the family theme alive. Um, so it is with a family story. Huh? It is a family story. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, anywhere. And then, I mean, I'm, you can't find me in too many media spots. I just don't keep up, but anyone can find me over email here at Notre Dame pretty easily. Yeah. So at Notre Dame, um, Paraclete Press, and then when I was on Amazon this morning, and you can download the book on Audible. So if you're in the car with the kids, you know, holiday season, road tripping, I'm I'm definitely going to download it. It'll keep me company Um, in my <laughs> indecent <laughs> commute between my house in Northern Virginia and my office in Washington, D.C., or running carpool. Well, you'll hear a familiar voice anyway. Sounds good. All right. Well, Katie, thanks so much for joining me today. And it's been a pleasure to talk about your beautiful new book. <laughs> well, I'm glad you enjoyed the book and I'm so happy to get to talk to you. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Katie. Welcome. Listeners, thank you for spending time with me today on the We Hold These Treasures podcast. My goal with this podcast is to be responsive to interests of this audience. So if you have a topic that you'd like me to explore or a guest whom you think I should interview or even a question about Catholic womanhood or military life, send me an email at weholdthesetreasures at millarch.org. I'd love to hear from you. We Hold These Treasures is available on Spotify, Apple, Podbean, Amazon Music, really anywhere you get your podcasts, and of course, the millarch.org website. So I encourage you to subscribe, leave a positive review for We Hold These Treasures, and share it so that we can better connect throughout this archdiocese. God bless you.